It really is time to uplevel women's health care. So join the natal naturopath in disrupting the mainstream medical paradigm through real chats and expert talks. We want to empower women in their health to help educate you so you aren't left dismissed and confused about your body. We know a lot about women's bodies and we've got you. Join me, Melanie, weekly on this podcast for practical health tips, naturopathic insight, unlearning of outdated medical advice, motherhood musings, along with longer episodes with health leaders in their own fields. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Natal Naturopath podcast. I'm Melanie and today we're going to be talking all about iron deficiency, iron deficiency anemia and iron supplementing. An absolute favorite topic of mine because I have been anemic a few times in my life, like many, many women and actually about a third of the world's population, I've been iron deficient before. So iron is the most common type of nutritional deficiency in the world. So that is insane and it is a very, very important topic to discuss. And I suppose I want more women to become iron literate because there is not a great deal spoken, especially from the medical industry, around iron and supplementing and anemia. And, you know, if you're told your iron levels are low by a doctor, you probably didn't see the number. So you probably didn't actually know how low your ferritin was, or was it just your ferritin and your hemoglobin? Um, You probably weren't told a great deal. So more than likely you went straight to the chemist and were faced with 10 different choices and you probably picked the most popular or whatever the doctor or pharmacist told you which one to grab. There probably wasn't much discussion or thought around the form of iron, whether your gut is going to absorb it how much to take, how often to take it, what you shouldn't take it with and what, uh, how long it's going to take to get your iron levels up. And then of course, the differences between all the different iron supplements. Say, listen on, and you are going to learn a ton, which is, you know, I think this topic is life-changing because if you were anemic or iron deficient and you've battled it for a long time, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you can share this podcast with anyone that you think would find it beneficial, so any females, you know, I'm sure so many of your friends are indeficient and don't forget to give it a five-star rating so it does show up in more women's podcasts, podcast platforms. (laughs) Now, as I said, iron is the most common type of nutritional deficiency in the world and one in eight Australians are not consuming enough. So this episode is going to mostly be about women since we do lose a lot of blood over our lifetime from menstruating and then childbirth. So my own experiences with iron deficiency and anemia, it almost always, well, it only ever came from in my teen years, I had really heavy periods. And interestingly, Low iron or low ferritin and low hemoglobin actually can make your periods heavier. So you then lose more blood. It's a really, really interesting physiological response the body does when its iron status is low. It does make more blood volume to try to compensate, which means you lose more blood, which means you then are at risk of more deficiencies. So kind of chicken or egg, which one do we treat? Um... And then um, during my pregnancy with Willow, my iron wasn't so bad, but then I hemorrhaged. I lost a litre and a half of blood after her birth. So 
anemic. Her first year of life anemic. It was missed. No one tested me. I went to countless doctors. No one really mentioned much about checking my iron levels. Um, It wasn't until she was around 15 months old where I was getting severe migraines and I was feeling really faint when I stood up. I could barely breathe if I stood up, you know, if I walked upstairs too quickly. That was when I finally went to a doctor and I was like, enough, I need testing done. And I was really anemic. And I thought to myself, if I had have known that when she was just a couple of months old instead of a toddler, I probably would have enjoyed her first year of life so much more because I was exhausted beyond belief. And I thought that was normal. And people kept telling me it was normal because I was a new mum and Willow was waking overnight. Anyway, I should have listened to my intuition because I did not think it was normal at all. However, you know, things are normalized, aren't they? Now, um, oh, and then I also hemorrhaged after the 20s birth as well. So anemic again, but that was fixed very, very quickly. And my iron didn't drop a great deal because I was onto it really quickly. And then I had a traumatic miscarriage two years ago and very anemic then, the most anemic I've ever been before. So I do know a lot about this. All right. So, oops, my audio. So usually iron stores are reduced or lost before the host develops anemia. So you'll notice on a blood test, your ferritin will drop first. Then you'll notice over a few months, if that's left untreated, that's when we'll see the hemoglobin start to drop. So for a non-pregnant adult, we really do want your hemoglobin to sit around 80 or above. And if you're a pregnant female, we really want that iron or that ferritin to at least be above 40 and more often than not, it won't be. So we also want our hemoglobin to sit around 135 and above for a non-pregnant adult female. And for a pregnant person, we really want that hemoglobin to be at least above 120, if not as close to 135 as possible. But with hemodilution in pregnancy, it's difficult to maintain hemoglobin, even when we're doing all the right things. So let's start with what's hemoglobin made from? It's made from three things. So if your your hemoglobin is low, you need to make sure these three things are coming in. B12, protein, and most importantly is iron. So we really want your iron intake, your iron stores to be enough to offset any loss of iron through period or childbirth. And if that body's loss of iron is is greater than its intake, then we find we won't have enough ferritin, we won't have enough hemoglobin. Cue all the horrible symptoms. So low iron means our body will struggle to create enough hemoglobin and hemoglobin carries oxygen around in the body. So with a little amount of hemoglobin, we have a reduction in the body's normal uptake of oxygen that can actually lead to really bad energy levels and a lowered mental capacity. And you may may also have um, cold intolerance, so feel really cold and can't warm yourself up. And funnily enough, those three symptoms, so a lack of energy, um, a reduction in your mental capacity and cold intolerance. They are also three symptoms of an underactive thyroid. And there is a really interesting pathological dance between the thyroid and iron. Iron deficiency will interfere with the normal functioning of the thyroid. How? Well, to make T4, our main thyroid hormone, the body has a particular enzyme and that needs iron to work. 
Iron is also needed to convert iodide into active iodine, which creates T4, and that's super, super dependent on iron. So in an iron deficient state, this enzyme's activity is reduced, so your T4 levels could drop. So it's really quite interesting that we would have then symptoms of an iron deficiency and symptoms of a thyroid problem and they might both be happening at the same time because of the link so we really want to treat both of them but in essence if it's being driven by an iron deficiency treating the iron deficiency will then hopefully repair the thyroid now blood test for iron so we've got iron studies and an fbe fbe contains all your red blood cells now ferritin measures storage in the liver so each ferritin molecule uh, carries thousands of iron molecules in it then we've got two confusing things called transferrin and transferrin saturation. So I'm just going to run through what they are. So transferrin, imagine that like the bus that picks up your iron and carries it around in the body. Saturation is the percentage of iron on those buses. So how many of the buses are full? What's happening on the bus? If you have a low iron state, you're going to normally have low saturation because there's obviously not much iron to be able to get on the bus. Now, if we see really high ferritin, that can actually also be a bit of a, you know, a yellow flag because high ferritin can come from inflammation or a virus or something going on in the body where the body is actually trying to sequester iron away because it's quite inflamed and it's trying to hide it away. And you also might find a high saturation, uh, transfer and saturation as well. So if you haven't had an infusion recently, you don't supplement, you don't have hemochromatosis, yet your ferritin is in the hundreds or two, you know, up to 200s, that's something where you would think, okay, what's happening? Is there inflammation going on? Do I have a virus? Is there something deeper happening here? So as I mentioned, we really want ferritin to be as close to 80 and if possible above 80. And I know that's going to shock some of you because when you go to the doctor, their reference range is normally 30 and above. Let me tell you, at 30, you will without a doubt carry symptoms of iron deficiency. Reference ranges are a whole nother topic and I personally find them to be super, super inaccurate and inconsistent. In essence, we really want to find the optimal level of everything. We don't want to sit on the lower end of the reference range because the lower end of the reference range means you are just points away from having a full-blown diagnosed condition or problem. We want to sit right where optimal levels are. And for ferritin, all naturopaths will agree with me here. That's 80 or above. Now, think about your intake of iron. Do you have enough coming into your diet? The next thing is gut absorption. So one huge thing that is missed in the medical system is when someone's iron is consistently low, yet they've been on iron supplements for months, if not years, that gut absorption sometimes can be missed. I mean, of course, there are some amazing doctors that will investigate, but sometimes they're like, we'll just go take more iron. And as I'll speak about soon, more iron is not better. That is not always, actually, rarely actually going to fix the issue. So imagine when we take any iron in, whether it's a supplement or whether it's through red meat or something like that, your body needs to break the heme iron off the protein of the meat or off the source. So we need good acids and enzymes and digestion. 
the iron then travels through your gut lining into your bloodstream. It then needs vitamin A and copper to help it travel along and to create ferritin and then to create red blood cells. So vitamin A and copper must not be sort of forgotten about as well. They're really important. And, you know, we're, we're so fearful of vitamin A when we're pregnant or trying to conceive, but got to remember vitamin A is, is essential for so many bodily functions. So don't forget about that. Now, H. pylori infection or an inflamed gut lining or celiac disease, they've all shown to cause low iron absorption in the gut. So check in to see what your gut functions like. If you have symptoms of burping or bloating, they can be signs that something is going amiss and you may not be absorbing very well. Now, I'm just going to quickly run over pregnancy. So iron deficiency in pregnancy. So fetal iron demands will be prioritized over the mum. So whatever you've got, it's your body's going to give it to the baby before it's going to worry about you in essence. So your iron intake and your stores really do need to satisfy the baby's development and then have leftovers for you to create enough hemoglobin to maintain those levels as well. And then of course, blood loss at delivery, we need to be mindful that we really don't want to go into birth with anemia because research shows you're at more risk of a postpartum hemorrhage. So you'll bleed more and you'll feel like rubbish. And not to mention iron deficiency anemia is linked in the research quite clearly to postpartum depression. So maternal iron deficiency anemia in pregnancy has really devastating effects for both mum and child. So in addition to feeling those effects of anemia, so fatigue, feeling out of breath, maybe seeing black spots or stars or dizziness when you stand up, we also find in the research reduced fetal brain maturation, pediatric cognitive defects, and then like I mentioned, maternal depression, all associated with iron deficiency anemia. And most importantly, untreated iron deficiency in a pregnant mama will be passed on to the baby because if you don't have enough, how will you give it to the baby? So then we have two iron deficient individuals. And so we really, really want to prevent iron deficiency in not only you, but your newborn. Um, There's a lot about, you know, babies that are anemic, they won't sleep. They're very fussy and happy concentration and, you know, on it goes. So Interestingly, and not surprisingly, in addition to maternal iron supplements and getting on top of it with supplementation, delayed cord clamping can help achieve prevention of iron deficiency in bubs. So there was a really cool statistic, a delay of five minutes in cord clamping results in about 166 milliliters of added blood volume for a three and a half kilo infant. And in that 166 milliliters, imagine how much hemoglobin and iron is in there and not to mention all the other nutrients that a baby needs. So if you can, delayed cord clamping is like on the top of the list of as essential as it can be. I know when I had the twins, I had a vaginal delivery and I was still able to do delayed cord clamping. However, I had to really voice this. I had an amazing midwife who was totally on board with it, but, you know, I just got the doctors on the day. I'd never really met them, those obstetricians. And so it was really, really vital. I was verbally at them, like delayed cord clamping. Um, That's what we're doing. We're prioritizing that. We're not taking baby A, which was River, away too quickly so we can deliver baby B, which was Hunter. So River had about three minutes or so. So she definitely didn't have as much as Hunter did because she did have to sort of get scurried away to then deliver baby 
baby hunter. However, you know, seconds count. So just do what you can. Now, after birth, in the postpartum phase, iron is lost through breast milk as lactoferrin. So you have then more risk of becoming iron deficient or worsening that iron deficiency anemia there. However, of course, if you're not getting a period at this time, normally that's going to balance out the loss in the breast milk. But I've spoken to countless mums who end up getting their periods actually quite early on in the breastfeeding journey. So those are the mothers that are at risk of iron deficiency and need to be monitored with blood tests. And of course, don't ever skip your six-week blood test. I never had a six-week blood test because every time I went to the doctor for my six-week checkup, they're like, hey, feeling, yeah, I feel like rubbish, I'm exhausted, you know, but I'm okay, I'm happy, I love my baby and, you know, um, and that was it. Let's, I think, yeah, with Willow, I said, can you check my vagina because I had stitches and I want to know what's happening and oh sorry after the twins I had stitches I didn't have stitches with Willow and she was like oh if you want me to I can and I was like yeah yeah like I'm here to have a checker anyway that was all fine um no one spoke about getting a blood test and I hadn't studied all this stuff at this point so I really didn't know enough about it after Willow so that's why anemia was missed for such a long time now dosing with iron I'm just going to speak a little bit about hepcidin first. So hepcidin is a molecule you may never heard of, may never have heard of. Super, super important. We want to prevent hepcidin's arrival to the party as best as possible. It's the main iron regulator in humans. So iron in itself, too much of it's actually quite inflammatory and it can create oxidative stress in the body. So hepcidin is a particular regulator in your body to prevent too much iron from getting through. So when we, you know, in the research, only I think it's 24 to 26 milligrams of iron can get absorbed daily before hepcidin stopping the rest. And so can you imagine with those iron brands at the chemists that contain over 80 to 100 milligrams of iron in it, what's happening to that leftover iron? It's going to recirculate in the body as oxidative stress because your body doesn't need it, doesn't use it the way it needs to, and iron in itself can be inflammatory in that way. So to get around hepcidin, what we do is the research shows that hepcidin will stay quite high after an iron tablet for about 24 to 48 hours and then drop back down again. So the best way to avoid this hepcidin issue and to make sure you're absorbing all the iron you take in is to take your iron supplements every second day. More and more research is coming out about this and it's really interesting and it will, I think, end up being the formal way of iron supplementation. Um, So, you know, we take it every second day. And there are some other little key things that I'll speak about as well that can really, really help taking your iron and making sure you've got maximum absorption from it. Now, if we look at different types of iron, there are so many. So I will just speak about one of them found in a lot of chemist brands here. It's called ferrous fumarate, the most poorly absorbable, constipating and cheap form of iron. 
So we really don't want to have it, obviously. Common side effects associated with this form of iron, along with another another couple of iron forms, is nausea, indigestion, and constipation. And this is mainly because they've got poor absorption and they actually break apart in the gastrointestinal tract. So a lot of the iron doesn't get absorbed. And this unabsorbed iron can alter the gut lining, impact your gut flora, and then obviously turn into oxidative stress if it's left there. So... We really do want to take ferrous biglycinate or iron biglycinate. It's in the research shown to be the most absorbable form of iron. It's a chelated form of non-heme iron that, unlike other forms of iron, passes through the stomach and small intestine without breaking apart, meaning much less side effects. It's also been shown to be more effectively absorbed than other types of iron. So you just get more bang for your buck, which is what we want. Who likes to be anemic? Who likes to be tired? Who wants to take iron for good? You know, we want it to work and work quickly. Now, the other key things that I really preach so much about, you know, if you followed me on Instagram, you know, I speak about this a lot is you've got to make sure you're taking your iron supplement properly. So number one, we want to take it either first thing in the morning or last thing at night. That's where it absorbs best. Next is we want to avoid taking it with any of the following zinc zinc supplements, calcium supplements, caffeine, or tannins in black teas and herbal teas. They can slow down or stop absorption of iron. So I really, I feel, I just go, oh, you know, no wonder these women out there are taking their iron for months and months and months on end because they come to me and they say, oh, Melanie, I've been taking Ferrograd C for six months and my iron levels haven't changed. So A, you're taking ferrous fumarate. B, we find they're taking it with their prenatal in the morning and their calcium powder. And then they wash it down with the coffee because they have their coffee with their breakfast. So there's not a hope in hell your iron is going to be lifted up at that point. So check in with your iron. Are you taking it at the right time of day? And take it on its own entirely. Don't take it with prenatals. Don't take it with zinc supplements. So any immune boosting supplements, calcium, and like I mentioned, coffee or tea. Now, vitamin C has been shown to enhance iron absorption. So if you're someone that likes orange juice or having an orange, great way to make sure you're bringing in that vitamin C when you take your iron supplement. I think that would really be beneficial. And like I mentioned before, check in with vitamin A and copper. So, you know, studies show when someone has a copper deficiency along with an iron deficiency that actually results in the most severe types of anemia reflected in really quite low um, hemoglobin levels. So when we are looking at iron supplementation, like I mentioned, we want to get on top of it quick. So we really want to make sure that we're not waiting until we're anemic. We want to treat the low ferritin. We want to make sure we're taking it in the right way, the right type of iron. Um, Another really good hot tip is if you are prone to constipation or iron concerns or your iron's not absorbing, try taking Lactobacillus plantarum. So it's a particular probiotic strain that has been shown to aid in digestion and iron absorption, which is so fantastic. And my new iron supplement coming out in October will actually have it in it. So it's super, super exciting. Also, there will be activated Bs and copper and beta carotene, which turns into vitamin A. So it's going to be magical. 
Anyway, I hope that was helpful. And if you loved it, please give me a five-star rating just so that I can show up in more women's ears and help more women. Iron deficiency, huge, huge passion of mine. And if you do have any questions, come over and message me on Instagram. I'm there regularly at The Natal Naturopath. And I love to chat about this. Anyway, I hope you have a beautiful day and stay tuned for my next episode next week. Bye.